all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Calling all beings on a beautiful rainy Thursday night here in FLA, also known as Florida. I'm your host, DJ, along with the dopest of the dope, Sands, my brother, Money Nathan, who had to take care of some what, what Leah likes to call business. So <laughs> I don't think so, I've ever said that word in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so good evening, uh, Debs. How are you, my friend? I'm excited to talk about NASA. <laughs> Me too, man. We're going to uncover some stuff. We're going to get inside. And guess what? We're going to take Darcy all the way to Bigfoot, baby. So don't you worry about it. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually seeing Bigfoot right there. Matthew Knapp, good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. How are you? Good. The legend is in the building, man. What's up? Yeah. What was up with that intro, man? I've never seen that one before. Oh, that was our original one. And I don't know which... I get confused on how they're labeled, so that was our our old one before oh, cool. this. The new one was made for us by this lovely lady named Charlotte the Thunderbird, over in England, who also did Deb's intro. And Leah, if you need help, man, Charlotte, <laughs> she she's done many uh many of these. Um, and since we said the word Leah, hi, prime time. What's up, buddy? Hey. Hello, uh, DJ. Every time I hear you welcome me to the show, I always think, man, I want to grind this up and snort it. There's a lot going yeah. on here. <laughs> love is in all I can think about when I think of primetime is love is in the air. Yeah. Everywhere I look around. All right. All right. Now we got to get down to the real business, man. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, Matthew let me know about this gentleman who he had been following uh, and said, Gotta get this guy on because he's putting out these interesting films about UFOs. And I look at his filmography and go, man, this dude doing some work, man. You know what I'm saying? So uh, without further ado, let's get the producer, director of Secret Space, UFOs Apollo 1 through 11 on Amazon now. And Secret Space, UFOs, Fast Walkers, and a whole bunch of other films. So put your hands together for Canada's own Mr. Darcy Weir. There it let me let me get that beard right up in there in the center square, man. Yeah. Welcome, brother. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. You rocked that, man. You Got rocked it. that all over town, man. Okay. Thank you, mama. Yeah. <laughs> Do it like that. Darcy, man, you got a lot of films, brother. I got a few, yeah. Been busy, especially yeah. with COVID. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna kind of want to go through some of the other films because it just so happens that we're interested in all these genres in which you have produced films about. But the first thing that sort of came to my mind uh, when I I saw you uh, the, these two films that. Uh, Maria sent to us so that we could watch them is there's so much work involved in what you did 
and you've done now is is fast walkers out yet or is that yet yet to release yeah it's on itunes uh may 2nd it hits like amazon prime awesome okay so that's uh uh um i'd have to bring the title up again because I, i forget these things but yeah secret space ufos fast walkers and uh it's explained what that is in the film and darcy will expand upon that um but my, my first question to you, sir, is um, to, to do that much work about this topic in two films, what was the drive behind this? What was it that you saw and felt that made you want to uh, present, do two films and do all that work on this p- specific topic? Well, uh UFOs are supposed to be like transmedium objects, right? They're supposed to be going through our atmosphere, through our oceans, unimpeded, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of just wanted to focus on deep space and outer space sort of UFO uh, information because there's been a lot of it over the years. And um, there was rumors that, UFOs were being spotted as early as the very first NASA space missions with the X-15 craft. Um, I covered that in a documentary called Secret Space UFOs, NASA's First Missions. And we basically cover from like X-15, Mercury, uh, all the way through the the Gemini missions, which, you know, those were considered the bridge to the moon missions. They were training astronauts to be able to practice... Yeah, to be in space, (laughs) orbiting around Earth. Um, And even during those missions, uh, you know, Joe White and uh, uh, what was was it? Joseph Walker, sorry, Mm -hmm. and Joe White, um, which were the original X-15 spacecraft uh, pilots, first NASA designated pilots that escaped the atmosphere. Um, said that they saw UFOs and it was like printed in Life magazine. And um, they later commented when they were retired and showed photos. And uh, I went through the CIA documents that were released uh, in 2000, January of 2020. Was it 2021 or 2022? Right after Trump uh, signed that executive order that all the intelligence agencies give their UAP UFO information. The CIA was actually the first to do the dump, and I'm pretty sure the only intelligence agency to do it. So I went through that, and I saw all this correspondence uh, between UFO researchers and NASA, and uh, they just played hardball and said, we don't have the footage and stuff. And that's kind of been the answer by NASA since the beginning, whenever you ask for footage or pictures that supposedly are out there, they say it's been lost, damaged, or, you know, uh, destroyed. And um, when I did Apollo 1 to 11, I really just wanted to cover more of that. And I brought in uh, Mike Barra, who, you know, is a Interesting guy because he covered with Richard C. Hoagland a lot of these anomalous structures that were found during the Apollo missions, starting from uh, Apollo 8 right through to 17, that they were taking photos of um, the lunar surface and 
those archival photos sometimes don't match what's on the Apollo Lunar Surface Journal, um, which is the photographic repository people can access from their computers anywhere in the world. But apparently they, they've actually updated that and they've gotten rid of certain um, things that they missed over the years. You can look in like uh, the internet um, time machine and look at when they updated it. And, you know, Mike Barra's and Richard C. Hoagland's photos were original prints that came from different repositories around the world, whether that's universities in Italy and, and uh, you know, France and stuff like that, or uh, Apollo former workers' own archives that they built. Because when you worked um, on the Apollo missions back then at Houston, sorry, Houston um, mm-hmm. individuals were collecting these. They, they handed out photos a lot and they weren't censoring them as much. But uh, yeah, I think Mark, your your motivation was basically that this was being hidden. Is that what your drive that was that? Yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident that there's a cover up of multiple types of things. I guess Uh, that pissed you off. Yeah, not maybe doesn't really piss me off. I I don't really what pisses me off is rude people. I guess I don't know, but uh, I just wanted to showcase that there's a an idea out there that this stuff is being covered up and um, that's what I did chronologically kind of showing and even we were talking about the Apollo 1 mission and how um, NASA's formal PR explanation for how those astronauts died in the first Apollo capsule was through asphyxiation which is incorrect because you can yeah, hear the fire, audio right? of Gus <laughs> yeah. Grissom burning alive. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wish it was asphyxiation, but that's, and you know, you look at the remnants of what they pulled out there, everything was just completely crisped. So well, I'm you know, fairly certain that's what happened to them. What's interesting is people who understand how fire works knows that hundred percent pure oxygen kind of feeds the fire. So, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, anyway, so, so we're going to go through this round round format. So I'll go and then Deb and then Matt, and Leah, and then we'll just keep doing circles as everybody asks their question. But before we get to that, Darcy, I want to shout out to, uh, our chat moderator, Julie, who is ill, uh, back in Alabama and she's recovering and, uh, we love you, Jules. Thank you so much for what you do for cab we really appreciate you and um and we're, we're thinking about you so this show jules is dedicated to you homegirl and with that i will pass it over to our researcher the okay. the uh the famous at a study of uap's deb so i am fascinated by the lovely nuggets of information in your videos um but i wanted to ask first about um this this guy this guy named uh mr sean kirkpatrick he recently had this hearing this little small little senate hearing (laughs) um and he made this comment that he was going to pass along any information with his partners at nasa if he found anything that indicated that the objects everyone is seeing internationally are extraterrestrial Mm-hmm. What do you think will happen should 
someone pass that information to NASA? Do you think the public will actually get that information based on your research? Well, I think NASA has a track record of being part of the cover-up, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think we are living in an age of some form of disclosure. I don't think, like, okay, if you look at the Joe Rogan interview that happened two days ago but was released yesterday, um, he read a letter from Christopher Mellon on that podcast that states that they have satellite photography they have satellite data probably video too as high quality as you can get of these anomalous objects around our planet probably in our atmosphere and outside right um so there's probably a treasure trove of that but then you know if you look at christopher mellon's article that he wrote i think in 2000 20 it was talking about unifying all of our listening systems to look at these objects and better identify them and have a better repository of data right so he was talking about um all of the tracking radar um radio telescopes for example that are on the earth plus listening systems that are in the ocean plus satellites that are aimed down at Earth. If you unified all of that, you would have really good data to, to comb through. Um, and then you listen to the recent interview that Bill Nelson did, the NASA head administrator, who was an STS uh, space mission astronaut. Um, he said in an Axios interview that he was looking to release their UAP group's research data this June. And he also thought it was a good idea to unify our tracking data of these things. So it seems like we're heading that way. And the Project Galileo, uh, what Avi is trying to do is very similar. He, he wants to sort of unify that stuff. Um, so I feel like NASA might be, maybe it might be the organization that will kind of legitimize this UAP phenomenon to the public because they are the ultimate in yeah. these scientific organizations in the public, right? But I do worry that they're not going to tell the whole story and it might be some kind of PR exercise. Uh, if you watch the documentary Fast Walkers, which is out now, uh, I think you guys got a copy from yes, Chris Newton. Um, you know, I make a case that as early as the 1970s, when we had the DSP missions, the defense satellite program, that these were running... Um, optical baffles that could take photos of the earth and things in space. And they also had infrared um, sensors and they would pick up objects that entered our atmosphere or in one case, uh, a massive object that came and parked a mile or two away from the DSP system revolving around earth. Um, it stopped, you know, 
And um, a famous satellite technician, also UAP researcher named Ron Regeer, Regeer, who worked on the DSP system, he extracted a bunch of the DSP reports and leaked them to Richard Dolan and, and people that are in the public researching UFOs. And we looked at that, um, which Richard Dolan actually has copies of that. And it's like years and years of Fast Walker, which is the NORAD, the Air Force's uh, code name for deep space UFOs, basically. UFOs that come from space, they come to Earth and sometimes enter our, our atmosphere and sometimes uh, just stay in space and then leave. Um, one of those readings that came from the DSP system coincided exactly on the date that the famous mass witness sighting of the Tehran incident happened, where, uh, you know, what was it? A couple F4s chased um, an object that emitted another object and landed on the ground and it shut down. And they their shot power. at it. They tried to shoot at it, but oh, okay. it shut it shut down um, so, their systems. Okay. Uh, so they had to basically evade and go away because they couldn't even operate their systems and scared <laughs> the heck out of them. Um, the American Air Force subsequently, after that incident, flew right over to Tehran and was debriefed there and said it wasn't ours. So whose was it? Right. And this came from deep space. So we have satellite systems that we started launching in the, the late 60s. The DSP satellite system is a relic now. And if you think about it, we have probably a treasure trove with the military, uh, because those are defense, um, that has been picking up UAP or UFO um, data for decades now decades and and i can't imagine what christopher mellon's talking about but it's probably off of something that's way newer um oh yeah the nro uh with yes okay um so next question i i was gonna say i i thought that the fast walkers were like when they're doing a spacewalk and they go to the outdoor like ISS ice machine and they're going to fill up that little bucket like you have like at Motel 6 and then the ice just floats away and then someone sees and goes, man, there's a fast walker right there, man. Oh, love That's those. That's all it I is, right? The little it's water snakes, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, go for it, Matt. <laughs> In your uh, research and the production of your documentaries, what's a piece of evidence or testimony that has impacted you the most that you think is a really big deal? Um, well, from my most recent, one of my most recent documentaries, James uh, Fox's testimony about being ghosted by Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. I think that was pretty important. Um, that shows that, you know, astronauts possibly do see these things throughout the uh, decades and they're instructed not to talk about it. And there's like this secrecy that must be kept with regards to UFOs. Uh, obviously you have guys like Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who was the Apollo 14 astronaut that was quite vocal about UAP UFOs. 
but uh, Buzz Aldrin was not. And uh, he, in fact, kind of teased James Fox whenever he called, hey, are you willing to come clean about the UFO incident you had on the way to the moon during Apollo 11? And he apparently also had a Earth-based UFO incident where he chased one. Um, I think it was like in a C-33 or something like that. Um, He didn't want to talk about it. So you would just say, well, why don't you just call your buddy Edgar? You know? Uh, Yeah. So I think, I don't think James is a liar. And he's a friend of mine. He told me that this story I'd heard through the grapevine and I wanted to get on camera in this Apollo 1 to 11 doc because it, you know, puts a cap on, you know, years after Apollo 11, you have UFOs becoming pretty popular in the 90s and the the thousands, right? And Larry King Live was uh, a hotbed for debate on UFOs. And he had Michael Shermer, who's a skeptic, um, and he had Stanton Friedman, Fife Symington, who was the senator that witnessed the Phoenix Lights incident Mm -hmm. and took, you know, serious interest in that, even though he kind of debunked it originally, Mm -hmm. Uh, and James Fox on the program. And Buzz Aldrin came on, uh, unfortunately, to debunk. Um, And James said, you know, you could actually hear James trying to ask him about the C-33 uh, chase that he was part of when he was a test pilot before he went to the moon. Um, and it just, it was shut down and Buzz ridiculed him and then changed the subject and said, Oh, you know, you had Chris Angel on the other night. He had all these illusions and, uh, I, I, it was amazing what he could do and look at the illusions that are being made today or something like that. Like he, he really was just dunking on ufology. Uh, and James says he watched him lie, uh, you know, to millions of people that were watching TV that night because at the time it had been many years later, but James had been building that first documentary beyond the blue. Am I right about that? <laughs> yeah. Title? It's one of them. That is one of his. Yeah. Yeah. And he, over the years had become friends with the in crowd in Hollywood. So he was a production assistant assistant, like I was a PA on sets. Um, And he became close when he was younger to Mickey Rooney. And uh, Mickey said, Oh, what are you doing when you're not on set like this? And he said, well, I'm making a UFO film. I said, Oh, you should talk to Buzz Aldrin. He's one of my Mm. best friends. I said, oh, really? Buzz Aldrin, Apollo 11 astronaut and Gemini astronaut and test pilot? Okay, what? And I said, you should talk to Buzz Aldrin. He knows some stuff and he's told me. So James, you know, as the years go by, he became, he was working at some charity dinner. And uh, lo and behold, Faye Ann Potter, who's Buzz Aldrin's sister, and was one of his best friends in life, um, was at this charity event. And somehow they started talking and 
James said, connected the dots, said, oh, actually, I'd love to speak to your brother sometime. I'm friends with Mickey Rooney. They were also friends, I guess, Faye and Mickey. And um, she said, well, yeah, I should hook you up with James because he told me himself about chasing a UFO when he was a test pilot, as well as his Apollo 11 um, UFO incident. And it shook him. He was shaken to the core. He actually called me after the uh, jet plane chase incident and was shaking still when, when he was on the phone with her. So, you know, long story short, he finally does get connected directly with Buzz. And Buzz says, uh, all right, I'll interview you, or I'll let you interview me, but I'm on my book tour right now, and I'm in Monte Carlo, so you'll have to meet me. So James went to a investor in Hollywood and borrowed, I think, like $20,000 or something, flew over to Monte Carlo, and Monte Carlo is not a cheap place. They don't have right. holiday inns there. Uh, <laughs> no ice machine with the, you know, they don't room. have the fast walkers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, he ended up checking into a hotel and two, three days go by and Buzz still hasn't allowed the interview to take place. And he keeps calling him saying, man, I am just burning through money here. You know, everything's expensive, the hotel, the food, the flights, whatever. So finally, Buzz says, yeah, okay, I'll meet you. And uh, James, and he says, but do not have the cameras rolling. No cameras rolling when you come to the hotel. Just come meet me uh, in the foyer the next day or whatever. So the fourth day, he goes to this guy's hotel, which is a much fancier hotel. And he's waiting in this cafe having like croissant, a croissant coffee or something. And um time flies and he's like where is this guy and then the concierge says monsieur you've got a phone call and he picks it up it's buzz and he says i'm not doing the interview and so he says well why why would you not do the interview like i spent all this money i took all this time it's really important for you to come clean about this because this would elevate this whole subject and you know bring it out of this ridicule um legitimize it if somebody like yourself who's a leader um somebody who has been to the moon people will take this seriously and buzz said paul allen just invested in seti search for extraterrestrial intelligence which is directed by the elite astronomer seth shostak who yeah. i had in the fast walkers documentary and he said, Paul Allen's been labeled a UFO quack. I'm trying to get $500 million in investing to build a liquid rocket system to take tourists to space. And I will not jeopardize that project by giving you my testimony about aliens. And what is this going to like? How is this going to change anything anyways? And, you know, James <laughs> protested, but that was his position. And that was the end of the call. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that means to me, I think that's a true story. And that means to me that astronauts, NASA, they've been part of a cover up of truth for a long time now, in my opinion. 
And um, I don't know what what's going to happen this June when NASA releases their reports. Um, but I really hope that maybe they peel back a layer of the onion and release more data um, from the past that they'd been collecting for all these years. I hope. And so as far as like rude people's concerned, is that like when you're waiting for someone to back out of the space at the grocery store and then someone like as soon as that car clears, they go zipping in there? Sure. Okay. So I've, I figured that is the kind of person that would irritate a Canadian or anybody, you know? Um, all right. So uh, let's go to Leah Primetime. Hey, Darcy. Super nice to finally meet you. Um, I know we definitely have some friends in common. Likewise. Um, so uh, you actually mentioned Edgar Mitchell. Um, I know he went on to help found and support the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I'm super curious to hear your thoughts on the overlap between witnessed anomalous phenomena and consciousness, particularly shifts or changes in consciousness associated with these experiences. Yeah, I think um, the Noetics Institute is uh, really important for the study of consciousness and remote viewing uh, as we know it uh, today. Some people don't know, but when Edgar had finished, if you go on the Noetics Institute's website, you can watch his testimony about why he started the Noetics Institute. Um, he claims that he had finished his duties, uh, had checked off all his tasks on his list, uh, getting to the moon and, uh, doing his EVAs, extravehicular mm -hmm. activities and all that stuff. And then on the way back, he actually kind of had a free ride. Right. Um, and he said, when he looked out into space, he had this epiphany and this kind of like download that, you know, we, we are special and we're all connected and everything's connected, yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, but the deeper story to that is that he actually can, Edgar Mitchell is a deeply intelligent person. He he is a savant, uh, was, and he actually carried out a scientific test in remote viewing, uh, secretly with his friends on the way mm -hmm. back from the moon. What he did was he imagined something in his mind. And at the exact same time, his friends on earth were to sketch out exactly what he was imagining in deep space, cis lunar space, the void between earth and the moon on the way back. Mm -hmm. And, supposedly his friends sketched out exactly what he was thinking at that time on that day on the way back from the moon. And it takes about three days to get mm -hmm. from earth to the moon. So that's powerful in terms of um, remote viewing study and proving that our consciousness is connected. We're all kind of connected. And if you even look at the UFO subject in general, Something that's been spoken out uh, about quite often is that the atomic bombs that originally were detonated in the 40s um, alerted other intelligences in our universe of our presence. And by cracking the atom with such destruction, we had kind of 
flown a flag, a beacon, and they'd come here to start observing us uh, en masse. The UFO wave of the 40s and 50s, as they say. And I, I think that also proves to some kind of connectivity of consciousness and reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cool. yeah, um, I think Edgar Mitchell was uh, an amazing person. You know what's interesting is we were just talking about James and how he blanketed his topics on Joe Rogan, and you're doing the exact same thing here. You have an amazing grasp of all of this. You know, I I, I think everybody else is is noticing that. So uh, thank you for just being so well read to, to educate us on a lot of these things that uh, we're not as well read on. Uh, I also want to say to everybody out there, I think because we talked about this before that we went live, that Money Nathan is uh, having family night. Uh, so he had something to do with his family, and that's the reason that he's not here. And uh, the only I feel bad f- for Darcy that he's not here because Money Nathan's awesome, and you would want to talk to him. But uh, hopefully at some point we'll get a part two uh, when you uh, do another movie or when you just want to come back on because, uh, wow, you're, you know... Uh, you're, you're passing on some interesting info. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, you alluded to that earlier about the outer space aspect, which has been somewhat lost amongst the talk of ultra terrestrial, as you talked about, uh, the perhaps the origin being undersea or just merely in a dimension where we cannot uh, see this particular intelligence until it decides that it wants to pass through and reveal itself for whatever reason. Uh, and, and so like the, the thought of outer space intelligences has been a little bit lost in the soup. Is, is that your interpretation? And do you have any thoughts about that, ab- about, uh, the, uh, let's just say it extraterrestrial, uh, interaction with us as humans? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go far in science to realize that we are not unique. You just look at the Drake equation and based on math, it states that if you just look at the universe or the galaxy, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy itself, and you boil down the multiple stars that are out there that are like our star with our same situation with the planet that's in the Goldilocks zone that has liquid water, yada, yada, yada. Um, that evolve life and you know some of those stars are further into the center of the galaxy so they're thousands of years ahead of us in terms of time um it would it would prove with that mathematical equation that there's got to be at least millions of civilizations in our milky way galaxy that are intelligent can all of them you know travel intergalactic uh I don't know, can have all of them survived and, you know, rised out of a singularity event uh, and not blown themselves up with weapons of mass destruction? I don't know. But um, to me, it's logical that some of them have become spacefaring, let's say, Star Trek-y type um, researchers that uh, follow protocols and are looking at other planets and um, may want to intervene, may not want to intervene. There's, uh, you know, you look at the Holloman Air Force Base story, which is pretty cool. I don't know if it's 
a hundred percent true, but if it is true, some kind of being with a big nose got off wearing like had like gray skin and looked humanoid holding a scepter said like take me to your leader like on the base right (laughs) and uh yeah had egyptian headgear and stuff and um if you believe that that's pretty freaking cool that sounds like a different sort of interaction uh than say what people state when they've witnessed uh gray beings that are almost like an autonomous drone that is carrying out a research exercise that are kind of devoid devoid of information uh, of uh, emotion and um have like psychic abilities and stuff like that um so i do believe that you know we might and and what better research mission to conduct as a intergalactic race if you don't want to harm yourself send some kind of biological artificial intelligently uh, advanced humanoid and i think gary nolan kind of alludes to that in his perception of those types of uh, close encounters that people have had with these kind of robotic beings he kind of says well you know if you were super advanced and you found these intelligent ants in your backyard would you go stand over them and try and like have a chat with the ants or would you create a life form that simulates something like them Mm. that they could interact with um in which you can then perceive some kind of uh understandably uh, understandable reality from that situation right uh so that literally might be something we're dealing with like almost like artificial intelligent beings that were sent to check us out and we're checking them out like ah um and yeah so i I think there is a possibility of et um i think that the most informed on that would be the american military for sure and other militaries around the world that are part of the cover-up and you know first of all back to the story about uh holloman air force base if any part of that story is true even just a craft hovering over i don't know one of the runways or the taxiways like they said that in itself is amazing even if a you know a creature doesn't emerge because you just you know you know anything that either lands or is hovering close to the crown that would be mind-blowing just to mm-hmm. see that you know that's yeah and there, some there Travis is that walton business you know yeah travis walton business yeah. there's that small piece of footage too which they included in um ufos past present and future which uh-huh. is the documentary that robert emmenegger made uh about ufos and included the holloman air force base story in that oh um, i gotta see it man i was gonna ask you for your source now you gotta see that you, you gotta see thank that you. and they, yeah. they actually if you watch there's another documentary that came out Uh, I think in the early two thousands and it it's from young filmmakers like myself that tracked down uh, Robert Ebenegger and he's like, yep, I had the whole reel of footage that they shot on the base at the Holloman air force base. I actually went to the Pentagon and the general that had 
looked after that, gave me the spool of footage and said, go for it, put it in your documentary. You have my blessing. He was like mid production and was splicing that in. And essentially (laughs) the CIA came on to set and said, you are not to use that confiscated it, but they were allowed to use a small fraction of the footage they could keep in, which was just this, um, light craft, like a craft that was emanating sort of an energetic aura off in the Mm -hmm. distance. And it was flying down from the, the, the mountainside coming towards the landing strip of the hollow Holloman air force base. And then it cuts. Um, and Emmenegger said, I put in that because it's like a little tease, but you know, what happened when the guy is sitting on the tarmac, he was literally recording that thing, come right up to the tarmac land, extend a ramp. This dude gets out with the scepter, the Egyptian headpiece and the, beak-like nose, weird eyes, and says, take me to your leader. And they kind of (laughs) like go off and have a meeting and imagine that. Like imagine that if that's true and there's been other encounters throughout history uh, that the military has whisked away and and hidden that footage, hidden that data, hidden those encounters, for the public not to see because they don't want to shake. They don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. It, that, that, that is amazing. I, I kind of remember that now. I remember someone saying, talking like it kind of was doing a little, like kind of like a leaf, like swaying back and forth. I, I heard that narrative, but now I got to watch the film because I want to get the best, the best source on that. That has got to be one of the most amazing, uh, you know, encounters of all time, as far as just seeing a craft and, I mean, that's like your the movies have been made about that. And then Tutankhamun with a Jimmy Durante nose. So, um, yeah, so- I don't know why they haven't made <laughs> like an Independence Day reenactment of that film. They could, it Got could to. be so awesome. But anyway, I, yeah. I know a filmmaker in Canada that might do it named Darcy. Weir. So, all right. <laughs> yeah, me and my five bucks in my pocket. <laughs> you do amazing work with that five bucks, man. Debs, go ahead, Thanks. my friend. Yeah, so I wanted to bring up something that happened about two days ago. Um, As we know, other countries are starting to develop space programs and trying to catch up. And one of those countries attempted to send um, a lander to the moon and unfortunately failed. Um, Sorry, Japan. I feel really bad for them. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it brings up the question of what the heck is going on with the moon? Like, why did we spend all that money to go there? And then we pretty much didn't touch it again. Mm-hmm. And now only now, decades later, are we even considering it again? And I know there's a lot of speculation about astronauts having seen stuff on the moon. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to get some of your thoughts about what the heck is going on with that moon. Yeah, awesome, I mean... Um, the moon is a really strange object that floats outside of our planet. And, uh, Mike Barra actually has the theory that possibly, um, there's these glass structures that are on the moon, uh, sort of like hit Richard C. Hoagland wrote this book called dark mission with Mike Barra Barra. Mm -hmm. And I 
tried reading it a long time ago and I literally don't have a math brain and it started going off into all these technical um, interpretations of things. And I was like, just, I think I've got a learning disability or something because I just started falling asleep as soon as that stuff coming <laughs> came up. But, um, but, you know, they talk about glass domes and stuff. There are photos that were taken from the, um, what are the Russian missions that happened in the sixties where they sent probes? This, not the Soyuz, but the, um, ah, anyways, there's Russian missions that they sent to the moon and you can mm -hmm. see glass sort of domes over craters and stuff for whatever reason, a lot of the NASA photography doesn't show that, but, um, they show some of those photos in these, this book and Mike Barra and Richard C. Hoagland have, archives of this um and their whole theory is that if there's glass that is made in a vacuum in a uh zero oxygen atmosphere so the glass that's behind me in this window is brittle because there's oxygen in the paint but if you have it in space apparently theoretically if you could synthesize it out there it would be harder than steel like steel because it would wouldn't have the oxygen or the bubbles you know, and... bubbles inside of it mm -hmm. so he theorizes that the moon at one point had multiple glass structures on it sort of surrounding bases um and other monolithic structures which you can see in some of the photos from apollo 1 to 11 the documentary that we were talking about and um you know, when you talk about the Japanese, um, what was it called? Uh, like lander that just crashed mm -hmm. and, and they lost it. It brings to mind Mike Barra's, uh, Barra's, my bad. I always do that. I'm like, Barra, Barra. <laughs> yeah. but, um, Mike Barra's explanation of what happened to the surveyor two, um, spacecraft so we had the lunar orbiter missions that were sent over um before we landed on the moon with apollo 11 and those lunar orbiter missions were satellites that just took tons and tons and tons of photos in a mosaic and then when they got back those photos back to earth they would put all the photos together and create a accurate lunar map of the moon um, and they were trying to find probably objects, areas of interest and suitable landing spots for, uh, the Apollo, the later manned missions where they were going to land. And the surveyor, uh, craft did very similar things, but surveyor two, that crashed into something and, you know, it, it just, came out of nowhere because they don't see they didn't see anything that should be there but if you think about there being these glass structures that are relic that are massive and sitting towering over the surface that craft might have smashed into it and maybe that could be what happened with this japanese um, surveying craft lander it might have hit something that is glass that we can't actually see until you're right there um, like closer to the lunar surface. Theoretically, I don't know. 
Um, and I was trying I was trying to bring up Fast Walker so I could uh, put that link up there. So I'll try to get that uh, for the next uh, question. But yeah, please, Matt. We have we might have. It looks like we only got a little over twelve minutes or so left with Darcy. So and I'll try to get a little Bigfoot out of him if I can. But go ahead, Matt. Please, sir. I was just wondering what your thoughts are as you know, you've got SpaceX and you've got these private individuals going out into outer space and planning on going to Mars and everywhere else. What kind of pressure do you think that's put on the government to come forward with this information? Because once those people are up there, they have no reason to keep their mouth shut about anything they observe. I think they have every reason to, because it's not their sandbox that they're playing in. They just have the keys to the vehicle. Um, or the two they have the toys you know and so if it's not your sandbox it's not your rules and uh, i think that it's very possible that spacex has been read into some of this stuff um in fast walkers i cover all these like ufo anomalies that have been recorded throughout the sts missions up until now um and the sts missions were designed to do experiments in space with a reusable craft, but also um, build the ISS, the International Space Station. They would carry up parts and and build it with that um, spacecraft. So if you look at all the anomalies that they uh, were present during that, I was talking on another podcast uh, before, but Jeffrey Challenger is a uh, interesting UFO researcher that was watching all the STS missions um, during the 2000s before he passed. He was a handicapped man. He watched the NASA downlink footage and would record uh, that footage onto VHS tapes. And he realized when he was watching the Russian space um, program guys, the engineers there, they were communicating with NASA trying to line up the Soyuz uh, capsule with the ISS dock, right? And they realized and said on air, oh yeah, you guys have that 20 second video delay, right? So Jeff identified that. He also identified that um, NASA quite obviously would turn on a video noise, like filter, a, a distortion, to the video feed that would distort the video so that if anything comes flies into view that's anomalous they could just debunk it call it space ice and stuff like that two other things that they did during the sts missions was um they would pan the camera away from something if it was anomalous on on video they would cut the feed and um you see the same sort of actions happen on SpaceX missions where the video will all of a sudden start recording something that looks anomalous, like an object that's flying into view and kind of following that type of thing. And uh, they'll cut the camera feed or they'll switch to another camera that's not picking up that. So I think, um, I think, you know, I've said this before, but if we are like in the public becoming a more spacefaring nation, going out to Mars, building a base on the moon, 
competing with other nations to do the same thing and settle settle uh, on other places in uh, our solar system. It's logical to me that they do actually disclose some kind of UFO activity, and they they run that disclosure through NASA um, because you know it will warn the public that we're not alone and that we might be seeing that stuff when we're going out into space in a b- bigger and better way in the public. Can't hear you, DJ. DJ, you're muted. Thank thank you very much. I Unfortunately, That's I didn't get that from my, from my cough a minute ago. But uh, go, go ahead, prime time, and then I'll, I'll get to my question for Mr. Darcy. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of my favorite questions to always ask people is how their views have changed over time. So as you've been producing these films, conducting these interviews, doing this kind of research, what sort of core views or theories have changed over the course of your career? Um, you know, to be skeptical, because there's a lot of disinformation and noise that's out there in the research of this phenomenon. Uh, I started making films in this genre uh, back in 2009. And uh, wow. this, you know, it's 2023. I'm really bad at math, but I'm 38 now. And I've learned a lot in, in the process. Um, and I've debunked publicly uh, Phil Schneider, which was my very first documentary. I don't believe that he was in an alien battle in an underground base. Um, but I, you know, started from there and learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what was interesting about that story to me is that there might actually be clandestine bases that are used to house exotic technologies, carry out experiments that are kept out of sight and out of sound from the public. Um, that's that's a more interesting story to me. But Phil was like that sensationalism of, you know, being this almost like Rambo, James Bond type character that got into a firefight with an alien, right? So um, you have to be skeptical. There's a lot of disinformation. There's a lot of cult leaders out there in this space. Um, I'm not very good at following people, so I never really got you know, hooked by any of them. And, um, I do sort of flex my ex, my, uh, skeptability when it, when it, when it comes to stuff coming from the government and stuff coming from the UFO community, because, you know, I think the greatest test for truth is time. As time passes, it will, we will collect more data. Right. And we will be able to fully debunk something or fully prove something. And Mm -hmm. as time passes and you get depositions and uh, all kinds of more data that certain people are sketchy and making things up and just defrauding the public with their stories and taking money from people and claiming that there's going to be an alien invasion. And the only way to, uh, you know, get out of this is to pray with the CE five, you know, uh, meditation or something. I'm a little, I'm like wary of those stories because, um, 
I don't believe it's going to work. And I, I, I think, you know, kind of as above, so below, uh, if we live in a predatory on a predatory planet, there's probably predators out there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so be careful with the message of fear and love. It, mm-hmm. it always tends to be that recipe that cons the public into what uh, somebody else wants. So fear is the motivator to to let your um, protective layer down, whether that's your mind or whatever. Um, but then love is the way to con you into coming with them and thinking that they're your friend and that you've they've got your back. And, uh, you know, I've just seen that play out and it, it's always playing out throughout history, that that same recipe, fear and love. Um, mm-hmm. Be careful with it. I, um, I, I love what you said to one of my favorite sayings is that truth is the daughter of time. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'll yeah. Use that. Yeah. 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 You can have that one for free, Thank man. Uh, <laughs> great answer. Thanks, Darcy. So what's brilliant about having uh, primetime on, you get stuff. Truth is the daughter of time. I love it. Um, so my friend, um, kind of like where I think Deb was, was going and, and what I would sort of reframe that question is, do you believe that there is some sort of life that's existent on Mars now that we're not aware of meeting the general public? There was a scientist, I can't remember his name. He published a paper that, um, you know, I think this was back in the early 2000s that soil samples they got from Mars or from their detective detection scientific instruments that are out there um, showed the chemical process or the chemical signature for um, life, like for mm-hmm. organisms that were microbes at least. And, um, NASA actually like ousted that scientist and I can't remember his name. They just destroyed him. They said, it's not true. We don't validate that, that claim and all that stuff. I think that there's such a strong, um, pushback on there being any other life out there from NASA is proof that there's gotta be something there. There might right. be. Well, I meant the moon. I might have said the Mars, but I meant the moon, that if there's something existed on the moon. So I apologize. I misspoke. Oh, uh, for the moon then. Two for one, eh? So the moon, I think what I kind of like Avi's um, idea, when when he first said, you know, that an object, a muamua, was a relic, a object from a relic civilization, possibly right um that had come through our Oort cloud and into our solar system and you know through the asteroid belt and then around the sun and sped up and headed out of the solar system right um you know i interviewed him recently and he said that he just thinks it's a piece not like a fully functioning technology he just thinks it's something that may have floated off of a dyson sphere somewhere out there which is not very exciting to me. But what I think when I look at like DAC motion picture footage 
of UFOs that are flying around in space from the Apollo missions or um, something that's on the lunar surface emitting sound. You know, there's the the music that was heard by the astronauts during first during the Apollo yes. 8 mission and then later on during the Apollo 10 mission. We have a lot of the um, DSEA tapes, which is like the flight recorder black box that they had on those Apollo capsules. You can hear the astronauts, you know, exclaiming, there's this really spooky music we can hear over here. And they're kind of like trying to sing with it. They're like, woo, stuff like that. And there was a bit of audio that was recovered from that, that, that came out. And I put that in the documentary. To me, it would make sense that there is relic technology out there that is autonomously running like UFOs or robotic instruments on the surface of the moon. There's a guy who wrote a book, who, who is on the moon. And it like shows photos of like tracks going through craters and out of craters along the lunar surface and stuff. And these are real legitimate photos. They haven't been doctored. It makes you think that there's something up there still operating, but maybe, you know, uh, whoever set that into motion is no longer living and it's just running. And maybe that's why, you know, people, um, speculate, maybe that's Mike Barra, for example, exclaims that the Apollo 11 mission was the mission to land on the moon and prove we could do it in a kind of uninteresting area. Um, but, Apollo 12 to 17 were salvage missions where we were going up there to look at something and possibly take something back to earth with us. And that's what they talk a lot about in um, dark mission. They, they, they theorized that they were trying to find this like ancient relic alien technology that was possibly left there and kind of backwards engineer it. If they got it back to the planet, I don't know if it's true, but, uh, you know, if it's if if uh, we become a spacefaring race and make it to another star and some something cataclysmic happens and wipes us out, but our technology is still left, could be possible. Well, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it I mean, how many soil samples and rock samples can you take? I mean, if you're going to do yeah. like, you know, like five or six more missions uh, just to say, oh, look, we brought back some more moon dust and and some rock. I mean, granted, I mean, the geology training, if anybody ever saw that documentary where all those uh, Apollo astronauts are out in, in a lava field, like in Hawaii, learning how to take samples from geologists. And Neil, the one who looked like he was taking it serious was Neil Armstrong. Go figure. They made him the mission commander. And the rest mm-hmm. of them were sort of joshing around and, you know, doing uh, jocular, like, snapping their T-shirts at one another. And here's Neil, you know, collecting legit samples. But, yeah, um, but yeah I, I mean, I agree with you. It seems like there must have been a larger uh, uh, mission set that, that they had in mind rather than – because who the hell is going to just keep going doing the same mission over and over, you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like, um, I don't think they, you know, Mike, Mike, uh, have you ever heard of a show called The Y Files? I think it's an excellent Mm -hmm. show on YouTube. Mm -hmm. They kind of go through conspiracy theories and then they debunk them 
-hmm. and also talk about the provocative provocative aspects of them uh, it's really well produced show they're usually like 25 27 minutes and mike uh Berra has been writing for them and he did some he did like solar warden which is like the theory that we have this like um galactic or we have this like space-based defense system to keep aliens out or something like that and it's not true but we definitely right. have defense systems in space like the dsp satellites and stuff i spoke about earlier probably way more sophisticated stuff now but um you know uh the y files did a really cool episode on debunking the apollo 20 footage that um rutledge released on youtube where you see this like mona lisa alien uh they call it the mona lisa it's got these big like kardashian lips and like kind of a oh i've actually kind of got the same thing like a what uh, wait a minute we may be burning in, in its <laughs> skull in the middle of its forehead and uh you know there's footage but you find out that um that all of that was actually meant for a sci-fi kind of horror film that this guy was making on a budget in Hollywood. And I guess he wrote a book and uh, he wrote a book about how that was all faked and stuff. And I don't think that we recovered aliens and, and stuff like that from the moon. I don't believe in a Apollo 20, right. but um, and I don't think Mike uh, Barra does either, but um there are really weird photos of what looks like almost Android heads in craters on mm -hmm. the lunar surface during uh, the later Apollo missions. There seems to be colors emanating in the soil um, mm. in some of the Apollo mission pho photography, um, which if you look at a prism or like the Pink Floyd, the, you know, mm -hmm. uh, front cover that has that, prism and the, the, the light shines pyramid. into it and then refracts it into the different colors of the light the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's what he theorizes is happening that maybe there's these glass structures that are somewhere off in the distance and light is shining through and changing the color of the moon dust on the, the lunar surface. So it looks like there's color, but really it's just that prismatic effect. And, um, I don't know. There could be some kind of technology up there that maybe all of these uh, different nations are racing to get up there for right now. You know, build a base, maybe find some stuff while they're up there. I knew that Pink Floyd was onto something when I saw that album cover when I was a kid. I just knew it. Oh, but, yeah. They channeled uh, let it. Me if you would, um, I, I have two questions from uh, Tim from Bigfoot Influencers here. And then uh, I'd like to, if you could just give us a couple of minutes. And if you don't have a couple of minutes, we won't. But I just wanted to ask you about your Bigfoot films. But here's one right here. Have there been any recent videos coming from, and just make these quick hitters, coming from non-government satellites that you're aware of? No, I'm not aware of any. But, okay. uh, you know, I think we talked about it before. Uh, definitely... Christopher Mellon says there are satellite photos and videos that are are being concealed. I have Darcy, no doubt. you are a fascinating guest. Thank you for sharing your insights. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. That's uh, Tim from uh, wrote a book called Bigfoot Influencers, and they have a uh, podcast as well on um, I can't remember the name of their net, the Unknown Radio Network, something like that. But great cool. guy. I was actually on with him today. Uh, anyway. 
Um, so I, I want to just open up. Uh, Matt, did you have anything, or Deb or Leah, as far as uh, Bigfoot? Because apparently, Darcy, you have done Bigfoot films. Yeah? Yeah, I, I did too. The Unwanted Sasquatch and Sasquatch Among Wild Men. And my whole thesis with that, uh, just mm-hmm. to sum it up quickly, because I have to leave sure. soon. Um, okay, we'll get, is we'll get you out of here after this then. Just that there might have been, and maybe in scarce number, um, an upright ape that is indigenous to North America that lives in deep wilderness. Not a portal jumping hairy alien. I'm not... I don't subscribe to that, but I interviewed Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, who's Mm -hmm. uh, Idaho State University professor and has the largest collection of footprints. uh, Yeah, foot casts from many different sightings throughout North America and the world. Um, When I found out, I'm like, oh, the world, what? Uh, And I read his pamphlet on relic hominids from the historical record from around the world. There's apparently, you know, in China, the Yeren, which is uh, something that's been reported being cited for hundreds of years, if not thousands during the Jing dynasty days. The Yeren is their Sasquatch that lives in the Shenanjia National Rainforest. Um, Then you've got the Yeti in -hmm. the Himalayas. Then you've got the Russian Almasty, which they have, uh, the, mm-hmm. they have the ca- the Caucasus, which is a big mountain range with tons of forest. Um, so, yep, yeah, you have the Yowie from Australia. I don't know. Um, the, the, there's all kinds of these wild man stories, and uh, it's kind of like a relic hominid that's a big sort of ape creature that's smart and could possibly we sometimes pass like cross its path. It, it crosses our path and we have these prints, sometimes hair samples. Um, and there were these interesting guys in Washington state um, that they call the Olympic project, project. their re- research organization. And they found what they have coined as Sasquatch nests, like kind of like woven. Beds. Uh, yeah. Beds that would be for, crashing on right in the middle of their rainforest near uh in the olympic rainforest and um you know gorillas make a bed too so it's just interesting and then you know there's uh, a yaren hunter that's found these like woven beds in their forest too so it's like i don't know it's all this data that i wanted to put out there and say could it be but it's not i guess important uh, to everybody. It, it's certainly important to us. We, we do cover Bigfoot on the show. Matt has had an in-person Bigfoot experience, Very uh, cool. a couple. <laughs> um, and I was going to say regarding the Yowie, I, I will tell you, I, I listened to a podcast with a guy who I would almost call like a professional hiker because he's done almost all of the Appalachian trail by himself with his wow. son's he vacationed in the Australian outback and went 30 miles into the bush and encountered a Yowie. And it, you know, he was able to see it and say, okay, I'm stopping moving. I'm going to back up. And he almost made it all the way back to his vehicle. And one day he ended up having to crash one night, but he said it was very terrifying. I think he peed on himself. Wow. So, uh, That's yes. cool. 
So, yeah, and he was, I mean, because you got to think, if you're in a foreign country, you're going to go 30 miles out into the wilderness. You have to with, be extremely with no confident. Yeah. With no partner. You have to be very confident in your hiking and, and your orienteering abilities and your survival abilities, and he did that. So Cool. Uh, with that, uh, we got to get you out of here, so let's go with Cabby Goodbye, starting with uh, Leah, please. Darcy, thanks again for the time. Super excited to have this conversation. Very impressed, I think, with the encyclopedic knowledge that you have uh, of history and on basically every subject we've asked you about. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Nice to meet you. And Matt. Yeah, Darcy. Uh, nice talking to you. Enjoyed the conversation thoroughly. Uh, looking forward to more conversations in the future and uh, more of your projects. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for finding me. Yeah, we appreciate it, Debs. I am excited to see what you get into next, especially considering all the international work that's happening and recent comments from Space Force. I hope that you're going to tackle those with the same amount of research with, that you did with these previous projects. It's great stuff. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Nice to meet you. And finally, uh, uh, incredible vigor, like they said, is kind of like what I started with is what I'll finish with. I really love the choices as you graduated film school, I assume you made incredible choices in topics to cover uh, that so many of us are passionate about and want to know about. And, uh, man, everybody in the chat was saying the same thing. It was like, man, Darcy's on his game. You know, you're so well-researched. <laughs> and so we really appreciate that. And hopefully uh, uh, you'll come back on with us again when you have another project and we can get uh, Money Nathan in there. All right, brother? Cool. Thanks for having me on, DJ. Great to meet you, man. It is an honor. So on behalf of uh, uh, Debs and Nathan, excuse me, Debs and Matt <laughs> and uh, Miss uh, Leah Primetime and Darcy, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend.